the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Program guests and Craig Roberts not affiliated with Vitucci and Associates. Information provided for illustrative purposes only does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information obtained from sources deemed reliable, but accuracy and completeness not guaranteed. Vitucci and Associates have no liability for information discussed. Consult with qualified investment, tax, or legal professional prior to taking action. Securities and advisory services offered through United Planners Financial Services. Member FINRA, SIPC, Vitucci and Associates, and United Planners Financial Services are not affiliated. The views and opinions expressed are based on current economic and market conditions and are subject to change. All investing involves risk, including the potential for loss of principal. Welcome to Don't Invest and Forget, a weekly financial news magazine designed to educate and equip you with the roadmap and direction you need to manage your money, meet your financial goals, and instill confidence in your investment choices on the road to retirement. Your host is author, radio commentator, and investment advisor, Pat Fatucci of Fatucci & Associates. With over 30 years' experience in the world of finance and investment planning, Pat specializes in personal and corporate investment management with special emphasis on retirement planning. The market seemed to shrug off the Trump indictment, but worries over oil production cuts and lingering inflation continue to stress investors. Welcome again to this edition of Don't Invest and Forget, the program that faithfully for well over 25 years is here every single week to help you keep your finger on the pulse of your money from Wall Street to Main Street to your wallet. Our host, 30-plus year financial manager and best-selling author Pat Vitucci, and I'm Craig Roberts. Well, a bit of an Eeyore response to the Trump indictment. I think perhaps the markets have sort of baked some of that anticipation in. But we are seeing an uptick in some concerns, Pat. This announced reduction in oil production is clearly going to push up the cost per barrel. And I don't know whether or not OPEC is just trying to create more pain within the Western world or they've just decided it's time to increase the price per barrel. But whatever the motivation may be, certainly Wall Street is not very happy. Yeah, Craig, you're right. I I think politics is playing a big role in this reduction in oil production. And there's some discussion with Russia and Who knows what's going on beyond the scenes, but the fact of the matter is Western intermediate crude is up significantly, and there are discussions of getting back to that $7 per gallon of gasoline number pretty quickly, given our relentless pursuit of not producing oil here, not fracking, not giving any new licenses out to drill. So we've got the political decisions that are being made. And this administration is intent moving to a fully electric system in very short, unreasonable timeframes, in my opinion, and at the expense of significant pain at the pump for the average person, it's really hurting the average person's pocketbook. Let's face it, if you're at $3 a gallon, which it was a scant 18 months ago, and we're now in the 6 $7 per gallon range, anybody that has any travel issues getting to work, 
knows darn well that is big difference in your weekly cost of commuting. So it really is a worldwide issue. Obviously, our Cold War with Russia, China is not too far behind. And those two countries colluding together and becoming best friends and hugging and drinking a glass of wine together should send clear messages to Washington. There seems to be some deaf ears of Washington not being able to understand the ramifications of that kind of balance of power. So we've got issues that politically there's some decisions that are being made that clearly are not translating into the kind of inflation numbers that the average person can withstand. The price of food, the price of fuel are all having large ramifications of cost of living. And I don't see that ending even if they start reducing rates. And again, there's some thinking that in the second six months of this year, the Federal Reserve will potentially start reducing interest rates. And then sprinkle in a banking crisis and what that means to the average consumer. This administration has said, oh, the the bailout of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank is not going to cost the taxpayer any money. Well, that's kind of disingenuous in my view, because when they put more pressure on FDIC coverage, every member of the banking community, that's going to take away the benefits and interest rates that banks can offer because they've got to set aside more money for their FDIC coverage. And so it's always going to translate into checking account fees or bounce check fees or simply being able to pay less in interest on any of those because the FDIC coverage is more costly for banks to run, and that's a commitment that they must meet. One of the curiosities, Pat, is we're seeing, again, some of the components of inflation beginning to ease, suggesting that the efforts by the Fed seem to be working. And yet, as much as we're watching a downtick in some retail sales, ironically, the auto sector is uh, doing quite well. First quarter sales at Ford Motor Company up 10% year over year. Equally, their competitors across the street at General Motors saw a 17% increase, even as interest rates are rising and inflation continues to increase. So what what do we make of what appears to be a bit of a disconnect here in that while the efforts to stave off inflation by the Fed raising the overnight rate seem in some sectors to be working, in other sectors almost as if it's of no effect? To interpret those numbers, Craig, you've got to drill down and look at the past couple, three years. During COVID, post even post-COVID, automakers were, were not doing well from a new car sales point of view. Retail of cars was pretty magnificent. and It continues to be very strong. There's some even suggesting if you bought a car a year or two ago and you go back and sell it back to the dealership, you would get almost exactly what you paid for it. And so we've got that issue. But now I think people are could delay buying that new car just so long because market conditions are not favorable. But I think that pent-up demand is beginning to show And I think that's why we're having some serious, robust, positive sales numbers, because eventually you got to buy the car, right? I mean, you can postpone it for as long as you can and put parts into the older car, but eventually that thinking wears out and you've got to bite the bullet and buy a brand new car.
Now, on a closer front to home, those that have been impacted by some of these rounds of layoffs in the high-tech sector certainly have cause to be concerned. But as we read more stories about realignment going on, be it word that Apple is cutting some corporate retail jobs, as well as McDonald's announcing they're going to be making some changes as well, particularly at the corporate office leadership level, are some of these signs of the beginnings of layoffs sort of suggest that the efforts by the Fed to tame inflation are beginning to work? The old bad news is good news. So the Fed is determined to get unemployment numbers higher, illogical as that sounds. But that is one of the data points that the Federal Reserve and the 13 presidents on that board look at on a regular basis. And and so, yeah, all these announcements, all the high tech and restaurant chains and almost every sector has been affected by the layoff story. And so I think when you see those layoff numbers subside, that will be a signal that the Federal Reserve is accomplishing its goal. A look at the world of money and its impact on your financial life on this edition of Don't Invest and Forget. Pat Fittucci says, Don't invest and forget. Invest and forget. Invest and forget. Welcome back to this edition of Don't Invest and Forget. You know, quite often on the program, a big part of what we do is to help listeners understand what kind of a nest egg does one need to have set aside in order to retire? What kind of retirement vision or dream do you have? Is it staying at home watching soap operas all day or would you like to travel the world? And obviously, the amount of money that you'll need to have at your disposal between those two scenarios is very different. In addition to that, questions often come up about when is the best time to apply for Social Security. But Pat, I'd like to add one more element into the mix here that I think far too often retirees don't give as much consideration to, and that is, what's the ideal retirement age in relationship to your health? Well, Craig, that's always been the the leading question for folks approaching their 60s. Let's go back in time. In fact, 142 years ago, 1881, I think you were just a kid back then, Craig. You remember the conservative German chancellor, Otto von Bismarck. He was a pretty smart, forward-thinking guy, and he was talking about a national retirement benefit. Brand new. No one ever thought about retirement. What the heck is retirement? I mean, farmers would plow the land, and when they couldn't handle the oxen anymore, they would sit home on their rocking chair on the front porch, and the kids would take over, and dad would last another six months or a year, and that was it. Average life expectancy... 40 years. He set pretty smartly the retirement age at 70. And he said, 70, everybody's going to get a check in the mail. What kind of crazy talk is this? Everybody thought. Well, shortly after that, he revised the retirement benefit to 65 in 1916. So that became the model for many nations. In fact, President Roosevelt copied it. He thought, okay, 65 is a pretty good number. But even in America in 1935, when President Roosevelt established that Social Security Act of 1935. Less than 60% of Americans lived 65. So President Roosevelt was a pretty smart guy as well. Move the clock forward. Average life expectancy today is 76. In Europe, it's even higher. So we've got an issue today. 
66 or 67, whatever your full retirement age, anybody born after 1960, in fact, your full retirement age is now 67. We've just seen recently in France, they were riding in the streets because President Macron was trying to get retirement age moved from 62 to 64. And amazingly, in France, life expectancy is 82. Maybe, guys, we need to start drinking more wine. I, I suspect French people are drink a whole lot more wine than Americans, and maybe we need to uh, change our, our health habits. Of course, it's all driven by working life expectancy vis-a-vis your health expectation. We all know, logically, that if you have a physically demanding job, your life expectancy is just not as high as if you are looking at a computer screen or pushing paper and sitting at a comfortable desk all day long. And so we've got to take that into account. Knowledge-based jobs, a more reasonable retirement age is maybe 70, and maybe if you've got a physically demanding job, maybe it's 60. I doubt if any of that would ever work its way through the legislature. There would be uh, all kinds of discrimination suits about you're favoring people with more physically demanding jobs than mentally demanding jobs. And, of course, the risk of death is higher, clearly, with a more physically demanding job. Nevertheless, we've got to understand when should you really file for your retirement check. People say, oh, I'm going to get it now while it's still there before it goes away. In my view, guys, this is not going away. The benefit levels will be lower. The retirement eligibility age will be higher. There's no question about that. So I don't think that's a logical conclusion. I'm going to get it now before it goes away. It's really how healthy are you if you take it at 65 versus 70 There is an 11-year crossover break-even number, so at roughly age 81, if you're still alive and kicking, you won the lottery. You beat the numbers. If you don't make it to 81 and you've taken it too early, you've probably sacrificed some income for you and your family. And so it's an interesting dilemma where your health issue and your the physical demands of your job can make a significant difference in the way you file, when you file. And then if you're married, certainly for your surviving spouse, continuing to get that benefit for the rest of their life. It sounds almost, Pat, as if there's multiple considerations here then. It's not just a question of your wealth. It's your health. It's your dreams, your your goals for retirement. And if you're fortunate, all of those may converge in a, in a very nice fashion that by the time you reach the age that you feel like you're ready to retire, your 401k suggests that you're ready to retire and you can go ahead and pull the trigger because your health is still about you. Certainly, as you suggest, as people are living longer, the notion of being required to retire at 60 because of incapacities or incompetence is less and less of a factor. But I guess the big surprise lurking in the background is if you're 40 or 50, it's difficult to anticipate or predict what your health is going to be like when you get into your 60s, if you have a heart event or get diagnosed with diabetes, something that potentially could change that schedule, that suggests to me that determining this age number is far more complex. And undoubtedly, many of our listeners are saying, wow, I've got to have a crystal ball to figure all of this out. Help us understand the ways in which the Don't Invest and Forget advisory team can help people sort of navigate so many of these complicated questions related to retirement age, health, wealth, goals. 
You know, it, it all boils down to spending time with one of our Don't Investor Forget members in any one of our offices or a Zoom call or a phone call. As you mentioned, it is a collection of so many considerations, health, your family structure, your passions. You love your job. You hate your job. I've had people come in my office and say, I've got seven years, 24 days, and eight hours left before I retire. I said, well, wait a minute. Why are you going to spend the next seven years in something you absolutely hate? Find a different career. Find a different job. Do something different. Don't wish your life away. Now you're 65 and your health is bad or your gratitude, your whole mindset is kind of backwards thinking. So it really takes a comprehensive view of, yeah, you look at the numbers. What's your 401k worth? What's your Social Security? What's your house payment? What's your house worth? You want to move to Florida? Your health, your family legacy of health, did mom and dad live long or what kind of health considerations? We don't give a physical, but we're going to ask you some health questions, high level health questions to get kind of a generic 30,000 foot view of how you feel about your health. What's your doctor say? And so there's so many considerations to review and conclude with a game plan, a roadmap to where you want to be one, three, five, 10, 20 years from now. And yeah, you make adjustments all along the way because stuff happens along the way. But you've got to create a roadmap that today might make sense. And as you go through the years, you make adaptations, modifications to that roadmap based on what happens. You get laid off, your spouse dies, you get a medical condition, your children out of the house, or they come back and live with you again, or boomerang kids, all those need readdressing your goals and your reasonable expectations to where you want to be when you do finally say, I'm not working anymore. I quit. And do the numbers make sense? Does your lifestyle make sense? The health issues integrate into that nicely. It really requires a quiet one-on-one or one-on-two with a couple. We take copious notes and we come out with a conclusion that I think for 30 years, we've made some pretty good recommendations based on that whole potpourri of data that drives a roadmap and drives financial plan that is executable. To get more information about that complimentary financial health and retirement plan review in any of the offices of the Don't Invest and Forget advisory team or by phone or even over the Internet, simply call toll-free 888-PLAN-WISE, 888 888- P-L-A-N-W-I-S-E. Easier still, you can schedule that appointment online. Simply go to don'tinvestandforget.com. That's don'tinvestandforget.com or call toll-free 888-P-L-A-N-W-I-S-E. Pat Fittucci says, don't invest and forget. Invest and forget. Invest and forget. Welcome back to Don't Invest and Forget. With me in studio today, our good friend for, gosh, many, many years, Franklin Parrish. Frank is our estate planning attorney. He has been with us for many years and has accommodated our clients' estate planning needs. Frank, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much, Pat. Frank, we hear a lot of confusion, a lot of stuff on the internet, the stuff on the six o'clock news, different terms. Will durable power of attorney, revocable living trust, irrevocable living trust, 
just give us kind of a 30,000-foot view of some of the more important items we should have our listeners focus on. Well, I think one consideration is individuals, whether married or single, need to focus on when we begin to work with clients regarding estate planning. The first step is very similar to financial planning, and that is asking them what are their asset, what is the asset composition of their estate? What life insurance do they have? What retirement plans? uh, What real estate? What brokerage accounts? Bank accounts? And then upon that foundation, you ask, how are these assets titled? Are they titled in community property? Are they titled as separate property? Are they titled in joint tenancy? Titling is the foundation upon which all estate planning is based. And as a result of that, Uh, It will determine if they use a will, if they use a trust, if they use durable powers of attorney. All of those different devices are linked to property titling. And if assets are not titled consistently with estate planning documents, the documents are not worth the paper on which they're drafted. When does someone need a will or trust? Is it a dollar number? Is it a legacy issue? I mean, they're pretty different levels of sophistication between a will and a trust. What's the demarcation? When do you go from a will to a trust, or should you have both? As a general rule, they are not mutually exclusive. In other words, if you have a will, many times it does make sense to have a trust. Uh, If you have a will in conjunction with a trust, that type of will is generally called a pour-over will. It means that any assets not transferred into the trust or retitled in your trust during your lifetime will, quote, pour over into it at date of death. But that is not necessarily a way of avoiding probate. Probate is the process of the distribution of assets governed by a will. So a trust, and a trust is a separate document from a will. The vast majority of trusts that we have in our country are called revocable living trusts or revocable trusts. In other words, you can change them, you can revise them. And pretty much the vast majority of the clients that I work with, I'll tell them, look, you don't want to paint yourself into a corner with a, quote, irrevocable trust, one that you cannot change. No one knows what the future holds. And as a result of that, revocable trusts, as a general rule, are a a clear and better avenue. The main point is, if you have a revocable living trust, then the foundation upon which it is based is retitling assets in the name of the trust. So, Frank, I meander around Internet. It looks like I can write my own will. Why would you recommend that? I'm not a dumb guy. I'm not the smartest guy. I'm not not an attorney. Can I just take one of those boilerplate, write my own will? Pat, you certainly can. The law allows one to do pretty much whatever they want to legally. However, doing your own estate planning in many ways is sort of like diagnosing your own physical or mental illness. Uh, It creates, in many cases, more problems than it solves. And the point I would make with many clients who come in with documents that they've drafted themselves is saying, well, you know, the good news is you'll never know whether it works or not because the only time it comes into effect is following date of death. And so consequently, many people have fooled themselves 
in thinking that they have their own affairs in order by doing documentation themselves. Now, doing that at the same time does not mean if you go to an attorney necessarily, everything will be done correctly. Because as with all documents, including many that I've drafted, time takes its toll on those documents. The laws change. Your family situation changes. Financially, you change. And as a result of that, even though documents which were properly drafted 10 years ago or two decades ago need to be reviewed, need to be updated, and we spend a great deal of our time reviewing with clients existing documents, updating them. Updating them does not necessarily mean you have to retitle everything, but it's updating the way they're structured, and then ultimately at the death of an individual is really where the rubber hits the road. And at that point, you really find out, does the document do what it was intended to do? So I've heard the term durable power of attorney. Now, I have a will and a trust, and I put them in this steel box so in case of a fire. Does that make them durable because they're protected in a steel box? What's the connotation of durable power of attorney? Durable is a specific word. It has a specific meaning in the law. A durable power of attorney is one that, quote, endures in capacity. The traditional power of attorney historically terminated when one became incapacitated. A power of attorney is granting to another individual. That title is called the attorney. In fact, it has nothing to do with an attorney at law. For example, I could create for myself, Pat, a power of attorney and name you as my attorney. In fact, and you would have the authority to do whatever acts my power of attorney states. However, a durable power of attorney is intended to transcend incapacity. In other words, I can again establish a durable power of attorney, name you as my attorney, in fact. If I become incapacitated, you don't have to prove that incapacity for the durable power of attorney to be effective. It transcends incapacity. Again, durable powers of attorney only control assets which you own in your own name. And many times we have clients who will have a durable power of attorney. They will also have a trust. They have the assets titled in a trust. The client who is the trustee becomes incapacitated. A son or daughter calls me and says, well, but I have a durable power of attorney for mom or dad, but they won't allow me to handle the trust account. And the reason for that is the durable power of attorney only controls assets not in the trust. Typically, what would those be? Usually, it would be dealing with qualified retirement accounts, IRAs, 401ks, that documentation. With me in studio today, our good friend for, gosh, many, many years, Franklin Parrish. Frank is our estate planning attorney. So the whole concept here, will or living trust, it's all about stating what your legacy plans are. And I guess the silver lining is giving your beneficiaries a gift of not going through the probate courts. And we hear lots of horror stories about the delays in probate courts, the the cost of probate courts. I mean, it's one of the benefits, I should say, of a living trust or will is that it can eliminate or reduce the exposure to the probate courts. Am I on the right track, Frank? Yes, you are in a general way. And that is a revocable living trust 
separate document from your will. If assets are retitled in the trust in your name as trustee, such as real estate and brokerage accounts, at date of death, those assets do not go through probate. If assets are outside of the trust and, quote, pour over into it through a pour-over will, as a general rule, those assets in excess of a certain dollar amount, roughly $184,000, will end up going through probate. Probate is the process of the distribution of assets governed by your will, and it is slow and it is costly. Typically in the Bay Area, a probate process will take anywhere from 18 to 36 months. By comparison with a trust where things are properly funded and it is properly drafted, usually you're looking at a three to four month period of post-mortem trust administration. So my relative dies, I've got to wait, and I don't have literally access to the assets or anything in that trust for that 18 to 36 months? Is that what you're saying? Governed by a will. Understand, the trust, whoever is appointed as a successor trustee, and they don't need to go through a court to have that appointment, will step into the shoes of the typically the client who was also his or her own trustee, the deceased individual, the successor trustee now steps into that individual's shoes. Now, many situations, I have one directly that I'm working with today, of a son who became the successor trustee for his mother. We titled everything in the trust. He calls me roughly a month ago and says, you know, by the way, I went into the bank and they wouldn't give me access to the checking account. And I said, well, Jim, let me ask you, how was the account titled? Oh, it was still titled in mom's name, but I have all these bills to pay. I said, how much is in the checking account? Roughly $50,000. Statute says, client dies, an account in his or her own name, you will not have access to for a period of time, and that is, 40 business days following date of death. So that becomes a very unpleasant reality very quickly. So the goal typically or repeatedly in working with clients is not only having documents properly drafted, but then having the proper titling of documents completed. And if it's a husband and wife, I would generally agree that the typical checking account, it makes sense to have in joint names. However, if it's between a son and mother, a child and parent, then the question is, at date of death of that individual, date of death of the mother in the case I just gave you, the bank account would automatically pass to that surviving son. That may be fine if that son is an only child. However, in the case I'm referring to, that son also had two brothers and a sister none of whom are getting along with one another. And as a result of that, it sets the stage. It may be legal, but it sets the stage for major family conflicts. And, you know, my point is repeatedly, and people look back and they blame themselves for not retitling an asset or whatever. I come back and say, look, hindsight is twenty twenty. The main point is we take a case the way we find it and we go from there. But I will say repeatedly, it is so much better for clients and for family members to do things in advance. Typically, this isn't the most pleasant process. It will close a chapter for individuals 
that they can feel they can move forward with other aspects of their life rather than, as I did earlier this week, receive a call from a client who said his brother died intestate. The home which the brother owned was titled jointly with the brother's mother. As a result of that, the mother also was deceased. Nothing was done at her death. Nothing was done prior to the brother's death. He said, well, where will the assets go? I said, well, they would end up going through probate, and they first go to any children. Does he have any children? Well, he had a son, but the son committed suicide four years ago. So now where do the assets go? Statutory law says, well, they go upstream to parents. Does your brother-in-law have any parent living? I know his mother predeceased him. Is his father deceased? Oh, yes. Both parents are deceased. Now where do the assets go? The statute says now they go downstream to surviving siblings. All of this, time-consuming. It's an estate worth probably $200,000. It will take probably two years for an estate administration to be completed. Had the brother had a trust, the matter would have been resolved in less than two months. With me in studio today, Franklin Parrish. Frank has been our estate planning go-to guy for, gosh, nearly 30 years now. We started when we were 12, wasn't it, Frank? I I think that was my memory. Estate planning, financial planning go hand in hand. How we title, and I, I think Frank underscores the point, titling assets is so critically important. So we work in tandem to title assets appropriately so you don't have the fiasco and the horror stories and the delays of probate court. So it's important that your financial advisor and your estate planning attorney communicate effectively. And in almost every case, our client gives Frank permission to give us a copy of the trust. So we title assets appropriately and it's critically important. Let me make this crystal clear. Vitucci and Associates, we are not attorneys. We are not equipped to give legal advice. I would highly encourage you to hire a licensed attorney that specializes in estate planning issues. If you need a referral for a qualified estate planning attorney, call our offices. We will give you recommendations. Any questions, give our offices a call. one plan wise It's one plan wise Frank, thanks so much for joining us today. Pat, thank you so very much. Any questions, call us personally, 888-PLAN-WISE. That's 888-P-L-A-N-W-I-S-E. Or go to our website, don'tinvestandforget.com. That's don'tinvestandforget.com. You've been listening to Don't Invest and Forget with author and investment advisor, Pat Fatucci. To gain more information about any of the topics discussed on today's program, or to schedule your appointment for a no-obligation financial plan tune-up in one of Bay Area offices of Atucci & Associates near you, go to don'tinvestandforget.com. That's don'tinvestandforget.com. Or call toll-free 888-PLAN-WISE. That's 888-P-L-A-N-W-I-S-E. Or visit don'tinvestandforget.com.
Program guests and Craig Roberts not affiliated with Vitucci and Associates. Information provided for illustrative purposes only does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information obtained from sources deemed reliable, but accuracy and completeness not guaranteed. Vitucci and Associates have no liability for information discussed. Consult with qualified investment, tax, or legal professional prior to taking action. Securities and advisory services offered through United Planners Financial Services. Member FINRA, SIPC, Vitucci and Associates, and United Planners Financial Services are not affiliated. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.